Welcome to episode 28 of The First 40 Miles. If you're new to backpacking, or if you're hopelessly in love with someone who wants you to love backpacking, then this podcast is for you. We'll talk about the essentials, how to lighten your load, and how to make the most of your time on the trail. I'm your host, Heather Legler. And I'm Josh Legler. And this is The First 40 Miles. Today on The First 40 Miles, the top five tips that will help you make it through those tough uphill climbs. On the Summit Gear Review, we'll show you a vast improvement to the humble hiking stick. For the backpack hack of the week, noodles, noodles everywhere. And we'll wrap up the show with a little trail wisdom from Mr. Emerson. All this, and that's about it, today on the first 40 miles. Hey Heather, you're about a month away from girls camp coming up. You're one of the leaders for kind of this regional girls camp for our church. How are things going with the preparation? Well, we've been meeting once a month, and I'm in charge of just a few girls that will be teaching all of the rest of the girls at girls camp. And so we've been going over things um, kind of in the survival skills category. So I wanted to kind of run through the list and see maybe how our listeners would do with these survival skills. See if they're as prepared as these girls that are going to girls camp. This is kind of like that, are you smarter than a fifth grader kind of thing. Right. (laughs) Okay. All right. Are you ready? Yeah. So one of the requirements is to know how to tie these knots and to know when to use them. The square knot, two half hitches, and a bowline. Ooh, I've got that one. You got it? Yeah. I was wondering about the two half hitches. Is that a double? Double half hitch. Yeah. Same thing? Yeah. Just two different ways to say it. All right, they also need to know two methods of purifying water. Ooh, I think I can think of three. No, four. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) Okay, we also need to know how to signal for help and contact the local authorities. Okay, got it. Good with that one. How to identify and prevent camp pollution at water sources. Yep, okay. Three types of emergency shelters. I'm probably weak in that area. All right. Yeah, I... Uh, certainly, oh, let's see, a tent doesn't count, huh? That's no, like I the standard shelter. It's mostly tarps, like how to set up a tarp in a way that would protect you from the elements. Oh, like three different tarps? Three different tarps, oh, exactly. Okay. <laughs> I was thinking like cedar boughs and no, just... uh, digging a cave. <laughs> <laughs> and then we need to know about severe weather, so like lightning, tornadoes, avalanches, and floods. Hmm, okay. And then how to make a bedroll or an emergency ground bed made of natural materials. Ooh, our first grader knows how to do that. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I took him out for the evening last week just because everyone else was busy doing stuff. So we just went out under some trees near town and uh, there were tons of needles under the trees. So he gathered all these needles and uh, he arranged them all and made this uh, cute little kind of bed area and laid down in it for a second, and then popped up and you know, ran around <laughs> did other stuff. How cute. Well, we're one month away from girls camp, and I'll be gone for a week. And um, I won't actually be teaching the survival skills at girls camp. The youth leaders will be. I've had to prepare for some different survival skills while at girls camp. And uh, one of those is how to survive with under four hours of sleep a night. I'll tell you, I don't have that one down. Not at all. 
Yeah, I don't know how I'm going to do. Already one of the other adult leaders said that she's going to be cranky if she doesn't get her full eight hours. So <laughs> That's me, totally. <laughs> yeah. Seven and a half is about, that's about as low as I go. I'm excited about Girls Camp. I think it's going to be great, and I can't wait to see these girls learn these really important survival skills. Yeah, and what a challenge it is. You've got just a small handful of girls that you're teaching, and you have to teach them well enough that they can turn around and teach, what, 150 girls? 120 girls, 120 other girls, all from whatever you provide to this small handful of girls who are going to do the teaching. They're going to do a great job. That's great. Well, today's top five list is the top five tips for backpacking uphill. And I'm thinking back to last fall when we did our 40 miler around Mount Hood. Our day number one started with, what, about a half mile of uphill? And of course, at that point, you're just running off of pure excitement. And then that was followed by, I think, 10 miles of downhill from Timberline Lodge to Ramona Falls. By the end of the day, our calves were killing us. Yeah, our (laughs) knees were achy. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Uh, We were so excited the next morning when we woke up and we looked at the trail and it was going up. Oh, yeah. Like, oh, yeah, bring on the uphill. So we were just so excited for it. But of course, you know, after about an hour of uphill, you realize that uphill is actually pretty hard, especially when you've got that extra 40 pounds on your back. So uh, you've come up with some great tips to kind of help people endure or even uh, thrive through that uphill climb. Yeah, I enjoy uphill a lot more than downhill. I think downhill is just, it can be pretty jarring and kind of, um, I don't know, pounds your body in a different way than uphill does. Uphill seems like you're accomplishing something, and I think it's really great. Our number one tip for backpacking uphill is to keep your pace but shorten your stride. Now, some people are tempted to stop frequently on uphills, especially when they feel tired or winded. But when you're going uphill, it just calls for a simple change in strategy. So instead of stopping frequently, simply shorten your stride. Keep up the pace, but just make those steps a teeny bit smaller because even the smallest steps will help you make progress. And progress is really what you want on those uphill stretches, especially when you can't see the crest of that hill, when you're just, you know, you're going to be going uphill for a long time or you're doing those um, zigzags. What are they called? (laughs) Switchbacks. Switchbacks. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, And they're just endless. (laughs) Right. So when you know you're just going to be climbing, keep those steps small and keep your pace pretty even. One of the things that I learned while going uphill is that stopped is zero miles per hour. And that's why it's so important to keep your pace but shorten your stride. You want to continue to move and progress but not make those huge energy-wasting steps. Yeah, that became one of our mantras on that hike around Mount Hood, that when you stop, you're going zero miles per hour. And so it didn't matter how short your stride was. If you were still taking steps, you were going faster than zero, which means you were going to make it. And it really worked on that trip. We had people at all different speeds. And uh, so some of us would get into camp earlier and we'd think, wow, man, that was that was such a long, steep climb that we just came through. And the guys in the back, I know they're carrying more weight than us. 
are they going to make it? <laughs> and sure enough, you know, wait 20 minutes, 30 minutes, and they'd crest over the top of the hill. There they were doing just fine. Um, because as long as they kept putting one foot in front of the other, even if it was very short steps, they were making progress and they were going to make it. The number two tip for backpacking uphill is the exertion breath. Breathing is an important part of pain management. Anyone who's ever uh, delivered a child knows this. That's exactly what I'm thinking. <laughs> breathing is really important, and it also works with uphill management. So a forceful breath out when things are really tough is a great way to power through and deal with some of that discomfort or achiness that you might feel when you're going uphill. And this also works for exercise. A lot of times when I'm doing you know, strength training, I'll just do that exertion breath, like in the moment of muscle activation, and that really helps with kind of powering through some of those tough workouts. And of course, you never wanna do an exertion breath through real pain, because sometimes pain is that signal that's telling you something is wrong. Don't feel like you just have to power through pain. If you're experiencing pain, like a hot spot on your foot, it's okay to stop and take care of that issue. Yeah, we're just talking about the kind of your muscles are complaining. That's yeah. all. <laughs> so that exertion breath, just kind of a, just kind of a. <sighs> yep, I just. <sighs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> However you want to do it. I mean, if you've taken some of those birthing classes, I'm sure those breath patterns would work as well. It would maybe seem a little odd on the trail. Uh, yeah, but I don't know that I really paid a lot of attention to <laughs> kind of the, the intricacies <laughs> of that. My brother taught me a really cool breathing pattern for running. It goes like this. Okay, it's kind of a rhythm, so it's like out, 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 in, in, out, 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 in, in. Oh, boy. <laughs> but it works for him. I think it's just for running, not for trail stuff. I think it's just to distract you mentally. I don't know. He said it was like to balance the oxygen that's coming in with the oxygen that's going out. Well, anyway, <laughs> an exertion breath. In the moment of physical exertion or physical uh, stress really helps. Cool. What's number three? Number three. Free seems like kind of a cheat, but I love it. It's called the rest step, and it means that the leg that you use to step forward, you extend it out, and then you stand up completely on that leg and let your knee lock briefly. And so you're kind of resting on that leg for just a split second, and then when you take the next step, you do the same thing. You step forward and then you stand up completely on that leg so that your knee locks. And what that does is it gives your muscles a chance to rest completely on each step. Just that split second where no muscles are being activated, your leg is fully in the upright and locked position. It gives your quadriceps and your glutes a chance to just not be activated. And you may even be doing it without even knowing that you're doing it. Yeah, true. I, I'll have to pay attention to that next time. Well, definitely when you're on the incline, I think the natural... Um, Tendency. <laughs> I was going to say the natural inclination. <laughs> <laughs> well, that works. <laughs> the natural inclination is to kind of stay in that semi-squatted position. Yeah, not with a, to lift. every joint bent. Right. All the time. Yeah, but to actually extend your joint all the way and you know lock it for a split second so that you can stand up and not have any of your muscles activated really helps. Number four is 
use trekking poles. Now, I recently started kind of experimenting with trekking poles. I was kind of anti-trekking pole for a while because I know people have hiked for years without poles and, you know, they use a stick that they find on the trail or they just use their own body strength. But I had an experience recently with some really great trekking poles and had a really great experience that I'm actually going to share in our Summit Gear review, so I'll save it for that. There was actually a scientific study done on the usefulness of trekking poles. Yeah, this study was called, get this, Muscular and Metabolic Costs of Uphill Backpacking. Are hiking poles beneficial? Yeah. (laughs) It rolls right off the tongue, doesn't it? Beautiful. Yeah. (laughs) Hemingway worthy. Well, here's what they found, and this is quoted from the study. It says, by redistributing some of the backpack effort, pole use alleviated some stress from the lower extremities and allowed a partial reversal of typical load-bearing strategies. (laughs) That rolls right off the tongue, too. (laughs) Can you please translate, Josh? Yeah, so what they're saying was that if you were using trekking poles, let's see. Try that again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. no, I've got it. Just, just type it into Google Translate. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> so what they're saying is uh, if you put a backpack on your back with some weight, your body responds to that backpack and you you hike differently. But if you add trekking poles to the mix, then you actually hike more like you were hiking without the weight. So you're still carrying that extra weight, but the trekking poles reverse that compensating uh, activity that your body does. So you're actually, the way that you hike is more like the way you hike without weight on. This means that your legs get more of a a vacation and your arms get a little taste of the legs medicine. Is that right? Yeah, I think so. That's something interesting to me that stuck out in the article was that people perceived the experience to be less strenuous when they were using trekking poles. They also had faster speed, a little bit, like maybe 10% faster, but they had higher cardiovascular activity. So basically what we're saying is the trekking poles allow you to bring your arms into the equation, so you're providing more power, so you're going faster, and your legs are being less stressed. But because you're bringing your arms into the mix, now your lungs and heart are working harder to supply that extra oxygen that your arms need. I think it's really cool to have the opportunity to have a full body workout when you're backpacking because your legs, they definitely get the bulk of, uh, bulk of the workout. Right. So I guess this is a way to bring the arms in and make backpacking, like you say, more of a full body workout. Well, the number five tip for backpacking uphill is... M&Ms. That stands for mantras and music. When you're backpacking uphill, you really are putting everything you have into each step. And sometimes after a few miles, you just need a little boost. And sometimes that can come in the form of a mantra. That means just a phrase that you repeat over and over in your mind to power you through some of those kind of difficult, maybe frustrating or uh, tiring portions of the trail. This is one that I've used one step at a time. Yeah, I just worry about taking the next step and nothing after that. And then you take that step and then you worry about taking the next step. Uh, Another one that people use is 
what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. There you go. (laughs) And really, you can use whatever you want, and it can change throughout the trail. You don't have to stick with the same one. You know, and sometimes these mantras just come as inspiration while you're on the trail. The other part of M&Ms is music. I love having earbuds that uh, pump in my favorite tunes, high energy or something soothing and relaxing. Since your steps will be shorter on uphill climbs, then you can have an up-tempo song playing and just keep up with that up-tempo song with smaller steps. And that can kind of help you keep pace on the trail. Yeah, that's a good idea. I don't know if I've ever put in earbuds and listened to music while I've been on the trail, but I do notice that uh, when I'm on a long uphill climb, it really is helpful to occupy my mind with something. You know, if I'm just focused on, oh, here I am going up this hill, how much further, that can turn into trudgery. But I think that's a word. If you're trudging, is that trudgery? Or is that drudgery drudgery that I'm thinking? (laughs) I think you just made up a new word. Okay. Well, if you're trudging along, that's trudgery. (laughs) I say so. (laughs) And when I've got my mind occupied, though, then no matter how steep and no matter how short my step, I'm thinking about something and I'm just kind of in that world. You know, whether it's thinking about some kind of problem I'm trying to solve or whether it's looking around and, and just feeling so grateful to be out in nature. Whatever it is, that mental focus can really be a key to enjoying the, the strenuous parts of a trip. So we hope these five tips help for backpacking uphill. Just to shorten your stride, try an exertion breath, try the rest step, maybe bring a pair of trekking poles, and don't forget your M&Ms, mantra and music. Well, since we're talking about uphill climbs, for the Summit Gear Review today, Heather's going to talk about the Lakey Microvario Carbon Trekking Poles. So before I tried out trekking poles, I was so skeptical. I mean, it just seems like another piece of gear that doesn't make that much of a difference. It just makes you look, you know, like you belong on the cover of Backpacker Magazine. I took them on a backpacking trip recently and decided I was going to test them out and really kind of figure out if they were something that I even wanted to talk about or recommend on the show. And so I'll just tell you about these polls and then I'll tell you about my experience because I was I was kind of surprised. The ones that I have are the Microvario Carbon Trekking Poles. They have a carbon shaft. They have foam grips, which are edgeless. So they're super comfortable no matter how many miles you go. These poles are super compactable. They actually pull apart. It folds down into about 15 and a half inches, which is really great. So that when you put the poles away, you're not poking people on the trail every time you turn around. So these ones are different. It has one telescoping piece and then plus two more sections that pop off. So you kind of fold it up like tent poles. Yeah, kind of the same principle. These are very easy to adjust. And of course, they have a fancy name for it. It's called speed lock. But basically, you're just flipping a latch, you're adjusting the pole, and then you just flip the latch back, and it holds crazy secure. The trekking poles are adjustable from 110 centimeters to 130 centimeters, and there's not really any special trick to finding out what setting you're on, other than you want your arm, 
you know, your elbow to be at a 90 degree angle when you're holding the trekking pole. If uh, these poles don't go short enough for you, then there's another version of these same poles. It's the micro variocarbon lady, and it goes down to 105 centimeters, but I wouldn't recommend it for the men folk because it comes in purple. I was just going to ask, <laughs> is it purple? It's purple. <laughs> okay, so if you're a short man, sorry, you're out of luck. I'm sorry. <laughs> but it's cool because the micro variocarbon lady weighs less um, than this version that we're reviewing today. So, right, since it's smaller. Yep, it weighs a little bit less. Since these poles are collapsible and, you know, you're sliding pieces apart, you want to make sure when you collapse them that the outside is clean because you don't want to get grit inside and you don't want to, you know, start sliding pieces together if it's, if it's all dirty. Um, these poles are definitely an investment. These run $200, and so you'll want to make sure before you actually purchase a set of trekking poles that you try out a friend's trekking poles. I thought before I tried out trekking poles that, you know, maybe they would help me more on downhills and kind of soften right. soften the blow to the knees, but I really felt like they were incredibly invaluable on those uphill stretches of the trail and that I didn't notice as much of a benefit on the downhill. You know, some people will just love them for downhill. And maybe there's some little tricks that I could learn in the future to kind of improve my experience. Mm -hmm. I know when you're doing downhill, you're supposed to lengthen your trekking poles because, you know, they're ahead of you and they're downhill. So maybe, you know, as I use them more for downhill, I'll find that I actually like them for downhill. So um, I noticed some things as I used them that I wasn't expecting. So first of all, I felt like using trekking poles made me think a lot more strategically. Like I felt like my brain was fully engaged on the trail. You know, sometimes as you're hiking along, your mind kind of wanders. But as I used the trekking poles, I really felt like, like I was a four-legged animal. I don't know how else to describe it, but I felt like I was trying to figure out where each of my limbs were going to land and, you know, was I going to go this direction or this direction or, you know, where was I going to put one of the poles to have the maximum benefit? So I felt like my brain was fully engaged as I used the poles. Another thing that I noticed was that the poles gave me crazy amounts of speed. Now, I'm not really um, uh, a competitive person. I don't know. No, Am not I? at all. <laughs> not at all. Okay. Thank you for reaffirming that. Um, and so speed is not really an important thing for me. But when I started using the poles, I noticed a significant increase in my speed, especially on the uphill stretches. So that was that was really exciting just to, you know, feel like I could go faster and go farther using the trekking poles. You know, in some ways, it kind of felt like jet propulsion packs, whatever they're called. The Yeah, the jet, jet packs. packs. Yeah, those jet packs. I felt like I was like, whoosh, whoosh, whoosh. <laughs> <laughs> Or it's like those uh, moving sidewalks in airports. Yes, yes, that's exactly <laughs> what it felt like. It was so much fun. So my recommendation is anytime you're doing a significant amount of elevation gain, bring some trekking poles, try them out, and um, I think you'll really enjoy them. Now I'm going to add my two bits. Go for it. I tried the trekking poles as well on our last trip, 
and I'm still not a I'm still not sold. All of my reasons for not using trekking poles before I tried them are still there. Um, I don't like carrying things in my hands. I don't like having my hands, you know, occupied. Uh, I like to be able to let my mind wander while I'm on the trail, so I'm actually not a fan of having the extra mental effort of two more limbs to uh, manage. <laughs> and uh, and so I tried them, and yeah, to me, I didn't really feel like I noticed an increase in speed or a decrease in exertion. Boy, for me, it was like I'm carrying an extra pound of stuff and I'm occupying my hands and it's making no difference. So first 40 milers, uh, we'd love to hear your experiences with trekking poles. For me, I, I'm not going to spend $200 to carry an extra pound of weight to occupy my hands to feel like I got no benefit. But Heather had a different experience. She felt like it increased her speed and decreased her effort, especially on uphill climbs. And I know there are a ton of people that just love trekking poles and, and wouldn't imagine hiking or backpacking without them. Well, you get a room of backpackers together, and if you bring up the subject of trekking poles, it's very polarizing. Uh. I'm so sorry. <laughs> but it's true. People either love them or hate them, and it's really... People have valid reasons on both sides. Not on my side. There was awkward silence <laughs> and a no, smug I, smile. <laughs> what was that? <laughs> You're probably right. <laughs> it's time to move on to the backpack. Hack of the yeah, week. I guess so. <laughs> anyway, so share your experiences. We'd love to know what are the pros and cons. All right, this week's backpack hack of the week is noodles, noodles everywhere. There is a kind of noodle out there that is so easy to bring on the trail and it's basically a no-cook noodle. It's called rice or bean thread noodles. And let me get out the package here. They usually come in a clear, crinkly, package and you can see the noodles inside. They're whitish. Yeah, they become clear they become once they're clear. rehydrated. And um, they're made with rice and water. Those are the only two ingredients. And you can also find bean vermicelli or vermicelli. How do you say it? Vermicelli. All right. Italian style. But these are not to mislead, <laughs> these have Chinese characters all over the package. Yeah, these are YY brand. I think we got them at H Mart. So like a little Asian, well, big Asian grocery store. And you can probably find them in your own good-sized grocery store on the Asian aisle. These noodles are super thin and they just need water to rehydrate. They're cheap. Can't say much about the nutrition in them. They're probably just... Just carbs. Just carbs. So you'll want to add some fat to them, some kind of sauce. But try these at home and see if you can come up with some kind of sauce or recipe that you can bring on the trail. And in the future, we're going to be sharing some recipes that you can include rice noodles in, in upcoming episodes. Yeah, I'm thinking peanut butter is really high calorie Ooh, dense, right? So I'm yeah. thinking of mixing some peanut butter and then bringing some hot chili oil. So that would give yeah. me even more calories plus a kick. And then I'm trying to figure out like maybe some kind of a meat. Beef um, jerky. Yeah, beef jerky might work. Just uh, kind of shred it up in bits. Uh-huh. 
I'm imagining I could come up with a really good, like kind of Thai flavored dish with these thin noodles. So rice thread noodles, rice vermicelli, they kind of have all different names. They look like... They look like George Washington's wig. That's what they look like. And they're very (laughs) organized noodles. Like they all kind of come in a a bunch. Just find the thin noodles with the Chinese characters on the outside and those are them. Well, we'll leave you today with a little trail wisdom from our good friend on the trail, Ralph Waldo Emerson. He said, Many eyes go through the meadow, but few see the flowers in it. That's it for today. Thank you for listening. If you liked this podcast, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or review us on iTunes. We'll see you next time on The First 40 Miles.